Hello, you're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim on this beautiful Tuesday, June 4th. If you're listening on a different date, that means this show is being rebroadcast. I am your host, Greg McKim. On this show, we talk about just about everything that has to do with owning a home from Eric. We talk about from soup to nuts. And last week, my producer, Eric, looked up where the term soup to nuts came from. So if you were listening last week or you didn't, tune in and you'll understand. What do you mean, what do I mean by everything that has to do with home ownership, home buying? Well, how about buying and selling a home or financing one or obtaining insurance or maintaining, remodeling, new construction, rental properties, flipping, single family homes, you name it. If it's related to a home, we talk about it. How can I talk about all those things? Well, I do have an extensive background in the industry. Started as a carpenter in the late 70s. So I've done everything from haul concrete and sheetrock. I owned a mortgage company in the 2000s. I've been in the mortgage business since 91. I've been in the real estate business since 09. And I used to be a financial advisor. So that's a little bit about me. When I have guests on the show, I, I bring them on because there are people, believe it or not, who know more than I do about real estate. I think there's a few thousand of them out there. My primary goal is to share knowledge and, exp- and experience with my listening audience to help them make good decisions. Today, I'm really excited to have a guest who is going to be talking about how blockchain technology might disrupt and change the real estate industry. His name is Brock Freeman. Hello, Brock. Hello. But before we get started, we'll take a mortgage minute and I will bust another mortgage myth. By the way, during the show, you can call in at 425-737-5527. Again, that's 425 425- Three seven three five five two seven. You can reach me off air. That's Greg at two zero six two five zero six five four five, or reach me at my email g mckim. That's g m c k i m at loanzilla.com. And I should mention the loan company I work for, Loanzilla. Their license number is six seven four one two, and my loan origination license number is 106202. So now for the mortgage minute. It's going to be brief because Brock has a lot to talk about. Interest rates, what have they done? Well, since January, they've gone down roughly a half percent. Now, if you've listened to my show before, you know that interest rates themselves don't actually change. Right, Brock? Brock knows this because he used to be in the mortgage business. What changes is the cost of an interest rate. But to keep things simple, the cost of an interest rate today is roughly the same for 3.375 on a 30-year mortgage as it was in January for 3.875. So that's about a half percent rate drop. That's not the APR. I don't have to give you the APR because I'm not quoting or soliciting business. I'm just telling you what's happening in general with rates. They're on a slight downward trend because of the continued fear of tr- trade war problems, which just got brought up again with the um, Trump's mention of, of tariffs on Mexico. Now, today, if you're listening to news, uh, because of a potential economic slowdown, the Fed mentioned that they might be uh, might in the future drop short-term rates. So the average consumer thinks, oh, 30-year mortgage is going to go down. Funny, today, they all, all the pricing went up on 30-year mortgages slightly. Exactly opposite of what you'd think. So I'm not going to talk about it. I've talked about other shows. If you're looking to Get a home to uh, get a home loan to buy a house or refinance. Talk to a knowledgeable loan officer about what 
when you should and how you should lock. And what you th- what the media portrays and what you think's going on is probably not exactly accurate. But nobody can predict it perfectly, right, Brock? That's right. If we could, we'd be talking to you from our from our island that we own. We have probably built one. No, I'd probably not be talking to you at all. I'd just be <laughs> the silent the silent billionaire out <laughs> That's there. Right. So one of the mortgage myths I'm going to bust today is the one about mortgage insurance. There's two parts to this myth. One is you might hear whenever you put down less than twenty percent. Lenders take on additional risk. That's a measuring. That's a measurement they use for their risk analysis. And over the years, one of the ways to help consumers buy with less than 20% down is for the consumer to pay some sort of an insurance premium. It's called mortgage insurance. Well, you will hear a myth out there that some lenders say, we don't charge mortgage insurance. Not true. They just charge it a different way. You always pay for it somehow. So anybody tells you they don't charge it, well... They're lying. They're marketing. That's let's, let's call it, instead of lying, let's call it marketing. But it's not true. And so you need to ask them, what are your options? And there are several options. One is to pay a monthly insurance premium that at some point in the future can go away. Long term, that's usually the best way to do it. You can't always do that, though, because it depends on the type of loan. For instance, with a conventional loan, you can do that. With an FHA loan, you can't. The FHA loan, the mortgage, monthly mortgage insurance premium, stays with the loan forever, which is one of the reasons if you're putting as little as 3% down, you might want to consider a conventional loan instead. But there are other advantages of having an FHA loan. Talk about this with your loan originator. So when a lender says, we don't charge mortgage insurance, what are they talking about? What would they do is they raise your interest rate instead, and it becomes part of your rate. Well, there are are some potential short-term benefits of that. But long-term, unless you can refinance and you can't count on that, that rate's going to stay high forever. I would rather see my buyer, or my, my borrower, I should say, two or three years from now apply to have the mortgage insurance removed and immediately drop their payment as a hoping that interest rates are going to drop. Wouldn't you, Brock, having been in the business? as a general probably a uh, lower risk, yeah. Lower risk, probably a long-term better plan. A second option is to get a first mortgage and a second mortgage. So you get... You get a first mortgage for 80% of the value of the house. You get a second mortgage for 10%, say, and then you bring in 10%. And there are other variations of that. Now, there was a time in the mortgage industry where that was a really viable way to do it. It's not as viable right now. But you should talk to your loan originator about that option and, and research a little bit. So that's that's one of the mortgage myths. The other mortgage myth about mortgage insurance, it's not a good thing. People, I don't want to pay it. Well, if you have, let's just say you could buy a house cash. People come to me periodically and say, I, I'm, I'm thinking about buying the house cash because I don't want to pay interest. And the first question is, what else could that cash do for you? Let's take that to the, to, to the extreme. Let's say you had enough money to put 20% down, but you'd be, you, you, you're thinking, should I put 10 or 20% down? That extra money, let's say it's a $500,000 home. You have $50,000 to either put down or to keep in your bank account. It depends upon your investment objectives, your overall risk tolerance, a whole gamut of things to discuss with your loan originator and or your financial planner or on your own. But think about that money's worth something. Let's just say, again, you had that 50000 and you decided that you wanted to keep it someplace because it, you, needed the, you needed it as a, as, as a cash reserve, as, a, as an emergency fund, or you wanted it because you wanted to invest someplace you thought could get a better return than the cost of the mortgage insurance, knowing that at some point, the mortgage insurance might go away. Now, the problem with mortgage insurance go away, you don't know 
for sure if it will, but the likelihood someday in the future it will. We have a lot to talk about with Brock. If you're interested in learning more about how mortgage insurance works, how it could possibly go away, please feel free to call me. You can either call and talk about it today briefly because I want to really talk a lot with Brock about blockchain. That's 425-373-5527 or call me on my mobile, 206-250-6545. We can go into it in detail. Okay, so how do I know Brock? Well, it's kind of interesting. He moved in next door to me, what, about a year ago? Yep, almost one year. And I think one day we're like taking the garbage out or something. We started talking and it turns out that Brock is in the mortgage business. When did you get in the mortgage business? Back right after school, I actually spent a bit of time in Taiwan as an analyst on the stock market. And when I came back to Seattle through some friends, I ended up meeting uh, the head of Myla at the time, which was a subprime lender. So I remember Myla because when I had a mortgage company, I was a pro with Myla. And how, what year was that roughly? Early 90s? Yeah, that was around 94, 95. About the same time I got in the business, 91. And at Myla, you helped them set up a technology platform to help them interface with their brokers like me and to underwrite the loans, to track the loans. And it was one of the first, if not the first, technology platform in the industry. Well, it was the first web-based. The web, web was based. still very new. Got it. Okay. Uh, of course, being in school at University of Washington, I was familiar with these up-and-coming web technologies. Right. But it really had not gained wide recognition beyond that. But when the owner of Milo wanted to uh, automate much of the process, which was very manual at the time for underwriting and everything. Oh, yeah. I said, you know what? Forget about the old way of doing things. This web thing seems to be growing very fast, and let's do it. Now, nowadays, though, you don't understand how leading edge, and it was pretty amazing that I got him to say yes, because this oh, was I an do. unknown technology at the time. I do, because I watched other, other players, like, for instance, Washington Mutual, and they tried to they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on their on, the, on their interface book and it was never worked properly it was horrible and i remember when i got in the mortgage business in 91 the industry fought tooth and nail any type of automation they required a handwritten application in blue ink and then you'd hand it to somebody wet signatures yes had, who who typed it up on triplicate with carbon paper to make it, it went through about 10 hands before it even got to the final decision maker you had the setup person you had the assistant mm -hmm. processor the processor it was incredible, and it got continued to get it compressed. Um, so for the listeners, what happens today, for instance, if you apply for a loan with me, I'm actually getting you approved on the spot, well, within about 20 minutes, right through the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac underwriting engine. When we first got in the industry, that was unheard of. You had these human beings who were, they were gods and goddesses, and they, they, had, a, they had manuals that were five inches thick, and you'd go in there and you'd give them flowers and candies and try to... <laughs> well, what it meant was usually uh, if you're lucky, two weeks. If you're oh. not lucky, you were anywhere from one to th three months sometimes in, in the black box of underwriting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And trying to get answers on what's happening. Yeah, crazy. And then how about tracking your documents? We used to fax things in, and, and then you'd fax it, and they'd lose it. And you'd fax it again. They'd lose one page of that 20. Then you'd fax it again. They'd lose the two pages that you had before. <laughs> But, but I'm thinking, Greg, we're, we're actually losing some of our listeners here who are yep. asking themselves, yep. what's a fax machine? Oh, thank you. And by the way, I'm getting off on a tangent because of told war story. So tell me, the organization you're with right now, is it's it's spelled F-I-B-R-E-E. -E. Fibery, yes. Fibery. And you told me the acronym. What does it stand That's for? That's okay. So it's the Foundation for International Blockchain and Real Estate Expertise. Okay. So I know that probably whizzed right past most of you. I know it whizzed past me the first time. Think of it this way. Blockchain, real estate. 
We're in a professional association, uh, international, and I started the chapter here in Seattle because I believe that this is going to have an impact on real estate. And in fact, it already has in many ways. Okay. So now I've read about blockchain a couple times online and I could not, well, I could maybe give it a stab, but maybe we'll let Eric do it. Eric, can you please explain to the listeners? <laughs> I'm going to leave it to the pros. All right. Sorry, so we're going to start with, with Brock explaining in basic terms what blockchain is, how it works. Go ahead. So I think almost every single one of you listeners out there know what a account book is. You get it from your bank. You, know, you look at your statement and you see each transaction as it happens on that PDF you download or okay, like it, just like your bank account, it's just deposits, yep, exactly. debits. So let's start with that and your balance. That's, okay, let's start with that. All right. So each one of those transactions lives on a computer somewhere in a database, right? Yep. Okay. Now, let's let's talk about a couple problems. There is that there's a lot of people with access to that. You've got database administrators. You've got other people with access to that. And it's pretty easy to change, actually. So, you, like my bank accounts, I have three bank accounts at my the bank that I bank with. So I go online. Just last week, actually, there was fraud on one of them. So I had to close my debit account, start from scratch. They don't know where it came from. It was about a hundred dollars, three or four different things. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it got there. I don't mm -hmm. know. So we just close the account. This happens about once a year in one of my accounts. Wow. Routine basis. Yep. Maybe so I think I, what people don't realize is how much fraud and mistakes actually happen out there. All right. Uh, both within bank accounts, uh, titling. So let's talk about your house title. Let's go backwards because I got off on a tangent. Okay, so so blockchain. Yeah. So you started with this simple idea about an account ledger. Yeah. Let's, okay. So let's add one more piece to that. So blockchain is basically taking that transaction with the information in that transaction. So in a bank account, you might have who it came from, where it went to, and the amount. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you, let's take those items along with probably some other information like account ID, et cetera. Now let's create what's called a hash out of that. Now don't get too concerned that you have no idea what a hash is and you're thinking, yeah, I had that for breakfast this morning. <laughs> uh, a hash is simply taking that information and creating a cryptographic uh, number and letters combination out of that. All right. We don't need to go into how that happens. No, yeah. But it's it's very, very So whatever the transaction is, is that you, you encrypt it in some way. Yep. And it's called That's a hash. Exactly. Okay, and, and the blockchain. So we take jargon. each one of those transactions, we create a hash. Uh-huh. Okay. Now that that's that's nothing new. That's been around for a long time, creating those kind of hashes to encrypt something and then get it back out if you have the key for that. And if you don't have the key, there's really no way you can get that get get back to that information. You can't reverse it. How is that different, the key thing from a password, for instance? The key is a sort of password. So, right. you know, again, one of those terminologies within cryptology, we talk about keys, public keys, private keys. Think of a public key as a way that you're giving someone access to that without necessarily letting them know how that, you know, how the secret sauce is made inside. All so right. a, a private key is simply a password, usually pretty long. Okay. So this hash. Okay. So let's just, let's pretend that I've got Instead of having my bank account where I go into their server and, and it's password protected and they do have firewalls and monitors and things to try and prevent somebody from hacking it, right? You create in the blockchain some sort of hash. Where does that, yep. how, how does that, how does that more secure? Well, that in and of, of itself is not necessarily more secure. The secret here of what we do with blockchain to make it what we call immutable is that every time we have a transaction, 
we get a hash, okay? All right. And then we do the next transaction, and that gets a hash. Now we take both of those hashes and hash those together. So now we have a third hash. And every time you add one more transaction and that hash gets made, we take the historical hash of all the transactions that happened before, and we do it one more time, one more time, one more time. All right. And so what you're doing is you're building a history there of all those transactions. Now, let's put it th this way, that if someone were to go back and make a change to one of those previous transactions, and then we go back and we rerun re those, those hashes through it, it's not going to agree. We're going to know not only that it changed somewhere historically, we know exactly which transaction changed. How would that prevent someone from, say, in my case, my debit card never left my possession, ever. Mm -hmm. So somehow they got it either when I input it online or one of the most likely one of the places where I have automatic debits, which for different business mm -hmm. charge every month. How would, would, would it be able to prevent that sort of thing or not? Not necessarily. So okay. blockchain is really good at preventing people from messing it without you knowing or without someone knowing. All right. So, yes, you can go in there and change it. You might have the ability to go and change a transaction. Here's the issue. You're not going to be able to change it without everybody knowing exactly who and where they changed it. Oh, so in this case, like where my debit card was fraudulently used, nobody knows who did it. Unless that wouldn't the, happen. Okay, unless there was a person standing at a grocery line, they took a video camera, and they nobody's going to go through the effort to do that because it'd be insane, like a needle in a haystack. But in this case, if somebody had somehow gotten in there and, 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 and tried to do fraud, because of the way that they log into their computers and so forth, you would know exactly who did it. So it's That's a, right. Uh, interesting. Okay, so better, it's a better audit trail in a way. That's exactly right. In fact, okay. that is one cost savings when we talk about implementing blockchain for various businesses is reduction in audit costs. I see. Not, not elimination, but definitely reduction yeah, right, 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 right. because you have that audit trail. Okay, makes sense. All right, so how does this, now everybody out there probably heard of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is mm. one of the most popular, I guess, um, examples of blockchain technology. Yes, it is. But what most people don't know is that blockchain is being implemented in many, many other industries. That's right. So in real estate, let's talk about how you envision real estate transactions utilizing blockchain. Well, before we dive down into that, I do want to make sure that I sort of bust one myth that's very quickly becoming uh, common out there, All right. which is conflating blockchain and Bitcoin or these other cryptocurrencies. Got it. They're really separate. Think of the internet. The internet's out there. It's very pervasive, and there's a lot of what we call apps. You know, you got APPs, apps, apps on your phone, apps on your computer, all interacting over the internet with each other or different information. But the a certain app is not the internet. Your okay. web browser is not the internet. Bitcoin is not blockchain, is what you get. Exactly. Okay. This would be a good stopping point because we have our typical break at 20 after. Is there anything else about blockchain that you usually tell people to help them understand it, or do, did you just cover it in a, in a pretty fundamental way there? Of course, we can spend lots of time going into the technical details, but I think as an average person out there who is non-technical, really just simply understanding how blockchain and that audit trail that it gives okay. you with the, those hashes. And I will ask you one more question about that. Okay, yeah. So again, I envision in my head right now, I won't name my, I like my bank, but I won't name them just because of that recent fraud thing. Um, not that they had anything to do with it, sorry. So all, all my information is on their server. With blockchain, it doesn't, there's no, there's no centralized server for this data to sit on. It's, it's spread across thousands of computers. That part kind of befuddles it, it, it me. It could be. Okay. It could be. 
So that's not necessarily. You can certainly have a single node or a single place where a blockchain-based okay. database sits. So this is okay. why centralized, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be decentralized. It doesn't have to, but All right. what blockchain does is enable decentralized databases so that we no longer have to rely on a single entity or a single database and then have copies of that out there that maybe not, not agree. Blockchain enables us to spread that around hmm. and trust Okay, so because, because, we, because, because of that, because system, that hatch yeah. encryption yep. feature. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's go to a break. It's typical for us to go to a break. You're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim on 1150 AM KKNW. During the show, please feel free to call in at 425-373-5527. And by the way, I have past shows, and this show will be broadcast on podcasts, I should say, at 1150kknw.com under Audio Archives. We'll be back after these messages. Thank you. The Seattle International Film Festival returns for the 45th year from May 16th through June 9th with over 400 features, short films, and documentaries gathered from more than 80 countries, making the festival an amazing place to discover and celebrate new work from around the world. Meet filmmakers and stars, attend galas and parties, and participate in forums and panels during the largest and most highly attended film festival in the United States. Visit SIF.net for the complete lineup get inspired every hour right here on alternative talk 1150 welcome back to home talk with greg mckim that show that covers home ownership from a to z we air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 on 1150 AM KKNW. Please feel free to call in during the show at 425-373-5527. Or you can reach me, your host, Greg, off air at 206-250-6545. Today my guest is Brock Freeman. Brock is involved in blockchain technology. He is the regional Seattle chair for the, how do you, what's the name of the company? Vibri. Fibri, which is foundation for international blockchain and real estate expertise. There you go. Quite a mouthful. So the first segment, he talked a little bit about the basics of blockchain. In this this segment, we're going to talk about how you envision blockchain helping facilitate real estate transactions, correct? Yes. Okay, go. <laughs> There's a number of different areas that blockchain is going to and is in the process of affecting. Some are years out to the average person that's going to see them. And like many technologies, the end, end consumer, whether you're applying for a loan, whether you're buying or selling a home, honestly is never going to see blockchain. All Just right. like right now, there might be a database or other technology behind you know, a transaction that you do, but nobody comes along and says, oh, this transaction's done on Microsoft SQL Server. You don't care. Okay. So for listening audience and consumers, are there any areas of blockchain you think will, they, they will see and they'll, have, they'll feel a positive um, they'll have a positive benefit from? I think in the in the uh, short term, yes. So I'll bring up one company out of California called Proppy. And I bring these up because these are more residential. They're focused on the residential market. And what they're doing is they're using blockchain to lower transactional costs. Okay. And they do it a couple of ways. Number one, if you go onto their website. And this is a real estate firm. 
Uh, yeah, this is a real estate firm that works with other real estate brokers. So okay. if you're a real estate broker, you've got some nice place for sale, and you want to reach a more international audience. Mm-hmm. So particularly here in Seattle, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? We're okay. an international city. You potentially, if you get a nice piece of real estate uh, listed, you're going to want to put it out there yeah. beyond Seattle, right. beyond the U.S., maybe yeah. even out to Asia, where we have right. a lot of buyers coming in. That's from. true. That's right. Mm-hmm. How do you do that, and how do you give them some ability to trust that now, when they're buying my something. mind thinks, well, you post it on the Internet. There's got to be some service out there that does international multiple listing services, that sort of thing. There is, okay. but that's not necessarily how you buy it. You might traditionally have to come in here, show up personally to do the escrow, all that kind of stuff with the old system, right? Okay, yeah. So what yeah. Proppy's doing is they're actually putting all this on the blockchain. All right. So that when you're a realtor and you've got this hot property that you want to get out there to buyers in Japan and Singapore and Taiwan— then you put it on Proppy, and they are able to host that transaction. And then all the stuff that happens, whether it's that I'm interested in the transaction and here's my uh, amount that I'm putting down for the purchase and sale, the purchase and sale, the contract itself, everything goes on the blockchain that they've put together, okay. as well as all the titling. So, so yes. You still have a regular title company in the area do the research on the title and insure, do the That's insurance. Right. Yeah. Okay. But because everything's on the blockchain, it happens a lot quicker. And you as a buyer or even as a seller can look at that and become more confident that everything's kosher, that everything well, is done this correctly. is important for the listener to understand. There are, is, there, is, there are instances of fraud during real estate transactions. And the most common one is this. At the very end of a transaction, somebody is usually bringing in a substantial amount of money usually in the form of a down payment, and some of the money is coming from a lender. Well, there have been instances where somebody has hacked into an escrow settlement agent's email, sent an email to a buyer with wire instructions that were fraudulent, and the, pers- the, the party has wired the money to that fraudulent party, and their $100,000 is gone. Now, this is a really big issue in the industry right now. Uh, escrow companies are encouraging, and I'm encouraging, you don't wire it all. You always physically walk in with an earnest money check. However, if you're doing things internationally, that becomes a little bit more problematic, which is one of the reasons you're talking about this for the blockchain, right? Yep. And, and I mean, the workaround at this point, come in with a check. I mean, what are we, back in the 1970s? I mean, it, it's, it's working backwards. So blockchain provides uh, with, f- funny enough here, let's go back to the cryptocurrency, not Bitcoin, but there's now what we call stable coins. A stable coin is simply a cryptocurrency that has its value locked to a fiat currency. So a fiat currency, even if it sounds fancy, is just your U.S. dollar. That's a fiat currency, okay? So instead of wiring money through the SWIFT system and wondering, did it go to the right place? What you do is you instead, you at your local place, local bank or whatever, they they transfer your money into a fiat-based virtual currency that's backed by U.S. dollar. Now you have a lot more control and all that tracking available because once you send your normal U.S. dollars to the wrong place, clawing that back is really difficult. It's almost impossible. Yep. Okay, so one example of how this might benefit consumers, that, you know, that realization, that something they actually see is in international sales. How about locally? What sort of blockchain advantages for someone that will actually see it on the street? I think locally it's going to take some time, particularly in the residential place. What are some of the things you envision? What do you Well, let's take tiling, for, for instance. Okay, yeah, tiling. Uh, that's, that's one of the first first places. Uh, we've got several states now uh, in, in the U.S. Vermont was one of the first, amazingly. 
that is now exploring putting all their titling records on blockchain. Okay. That means that any transaction that happens is not just in a paper document or even online, you know, and still in a paper document that's recorded, just recorded, yeah. you know, Microfiche, as a PDF. Whatever they, yeah. That each transaction is actually on the blockchain. This will reduce potential errors, maybe even reduce a lot of the problems that we saw in the 08 crash hmm. where certain companies are claiming that, oh, I have the mortgage on your house, when in fact that was never the case. Yes, I see. So these are some areas where blockchain will be able to help. Now, we are years away from that, unfortunately, because now we're interacting with county governments who take their time to implement this. this now, sort for of the listener, this is pretty wonky stuff. But you, if, <laughs> uh, um, if, if anybody recalls after the 2008 mortgage meltdown, I recall there were lots of people that went to foreclosure and then there, and there was huge disputes and lawsuits about whether or not the mortgage servicers and whoever owned the mortgage were handling that paperwork properly. They were processing it too fast. People who hadn't missed payments were going to foreclosure. It was a nightmare. And this type of thing could potentially reduce some of that. Correct? That's right. That's one of the ideas behind that. And when it comes to title, I've been in the business 28 years. I, I can give you just a couple examples, uh, third party, I wasn't involved in them, of title fraud, but they do exist. And of course, it, the, the title insurance company's job is to make sure that the property transfers ownership legally and that nobody else has a legal claim on it. And they use human beings to do that. And there is, that has a potential for, as Brock mentioned earlier, for error. And obviously has a little bit of potential for fraud. Mm -hmm. So if they can make, which Vermont exploring and starting the idea of having that become more. Yeah. And they've executed their first blockchain okay. title transfer. The, the other thing that I think most people don't realize is that here in the U.S., we pay pretty high title insurance premiums. There's other countries, Australia, for instance. Title insurance, they wouldn't even know what that was. Because of the way that the government does titles there, there's no real need for title insurance. Interesting. So even if we keep the same system here where we're doing county by county, simply putting stuff on the blockchain means that in the future, we're going to see reduce title companies, oh yeah, way, way, way lower because now as a title company- Not as much risk. That's right. So they have to, they can charge lower premiums. And uh, again, for the, for the good of the listener, the title insurance industry is regulated by state insurance commissioners, just like any other type of insurance, life, his, health, disability- and title companies have to get approval for their rate structure. So sometimes a title company will come along and they might have improved technology and they want to come in and do it at a lower fee. And they have sometimes challenges with the state approving those lower fees mm. because of what they perceive as risk and so forth. So I can see how that would benefit consumers. Anything that drives down costs and improves efficiency is going to help consumers, even if they don't see it firsthand. Now, how about the real estate transaction itself? You know, almost everything I do is today is automated. I mean, I yep. forms are automated, yep. e-sign everything. Even the lenders are doing e-signatures for the loan application, e-signatures for closings. You see a blockchain involved in that. One of the, one things about e-signatures, and I know that lenders are aware of this, but okay, so how e-signature works is somebody gives me their email, I send them a set of documents to e-sign. Well, they can just have their their brother open that email up and start signing them. Sometimes it'll be a couple who share the same email. I don't know who signed it. Mm -hmm. Now, so whether or not e-signatures are completely, I mean, they're, 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 they're easily, they're, 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 they're easily open to fraud, but they become such an accepted norm that anybody that doesn't do them these days is considered to be, you know, bug, uh, uh, yeah. you know, whip, whip and buggy. So how do you see 
how do you see, um, are, are there anything else about the real estate industry block you see blockchain doing? Sure. Okay. So let's talk about that ETH industry for yeah. a moment, because I, I think you bring up a really good point around, even if we've moved into technology to make things easy, at some point we're, we're not necessarily preventing certain fraudulent things, even if no. it's uh, husband signing for wife and w- wife signing for husband type of deal. And it's not that you couldn't solve that problem right now mm-hmm. with some technology, you know, let's say an app on your phone where you got to give your fingerprint, right. prove that you yep. are. Yep. However, I will say that blockchain will make that easier okay. because what's happening, particularly something that is very concentrated interest in the blockchain community is the concept of self-sovereign identity. <laughs> that sounds like a mouthful, but it what is, that yeah. means is that we want to we want to see the ownership of your digital identity handed back to the person to your own person to control. Right now it's not. I mean, how many times have you heard around the you know Facebook issues of them you know accidentally releasing things and yes. and, and they're and honestly I'm not trying to call it them as being the bad boy because almost every single company whether you know it or not has had break-ins around oh, identity. Yeah. It's constant. And one of the reasons is because they collect much more than they need. Mm-hmm. So, okay. a, an example out there that is uh, well liked, especially among some of the uh, female. A blockchain enthusiast is that if you are standing in line to get into your favorite club and you're out the bouncer and you're handing them their license and you're a pretty girl, you're you're showing them this, what does he need to know? Your age. That's it. Mm-hmm. But yet, what does he get when he looks at your license? He's getting your name, your address, your picture, all kinds exactly. of things. Yeah. You know, and that's a simple example of what actually being collected from us by almost every company out there. Mm-hmm. What self-sovereign identity on the blockchain is looking towards is that you will only release exactly what that company needs at okay. any one time. And then essentially it's already been verified in the background. That's it's right. Like some of these, like it's, it's like those, I'm not, I'm not really familiar with it, but I know like if you cross the Canadian um, U.S. border a lot, you can have passes to go fast because they've already verified. I think they do that for flights too. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've global, got- uh, Global entry. Yeah, okay. That makes some sense. How about anything else in real estate? Because I'm going to ask you a little bit more about mortgage now. Uh, well, yeah, if you want to, I, I think the whole end-to-end transaction, there is companies now out there that are working on putting the end-to-end transaction. So everything from those docs, whether it's the purchase and sale, everything on the blockchain, and they're looking at around a 15 to 20% cost reduction for companies that, uh, that do this. In the real estate business? Yes. Okay, so I'm thinking to myself right now, okay, so let's say that I'm, help, I'm making an offer on a home for one of my buyers. And I use the multiple listing service, and the, the, you just basically fi- I, f- I fill in who the contacts are, my buyers, price, some of our contingencies, check some boxes. I'm done. Now the blockchain, obviously, I'd still be filling those forms in because I have to fill in the offer, right? You would, but let's say that you already know what this buyer's identity on the blockchain is. You no longer need to worry about collecting all those things. I mean, how many of you remember filling out that what's called a 1003? Yeah. Uh, in the in the mortgage business where right. you fill out basically everything Name, about yourself, phone number, more than social you can. Social number, date in of fact, birth, how many children, how many years in school. And you got people asking you, why do you need that? Why do you need that? Why do you need that? Mm-hmm. But, there's, there's two, as you know, there's two components to that. Yeah. One, one is, the, is the risk assessment to underwrite the loan. The other is the U.S. Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. 
and it was called the Anti-Money Laundering Suspicious... AML, KYC, AR, know your yeah, customer. SARS, yep, Suspicious <laughs> Activity Report. And we're required in the lending industry, dear listener, to collect information about you and, and monitor it on our own to see if we think that you're doing anything that could be suspicious, that could that could be considered suspicious in terms of fraudulent, illegal, terrorist activity. And if we think it is, we have to report it. We can't tell you we're reporting it. Knock on wood, I've never had anything I thought was suspicious. But that's one of the reasons we had that information. However, if there was a sovereign ID for someone, mm-hmm. that would cover all that. Yes. Potentially. Yes. It just be because you could rely on who this is, and that person already has been whitelisted. You okay. don't need to collect that information over and over and over and over now, again. You know, as in the industry, my mortgage side of things, you know, people we're taking care of break here in a second, but but the lenders are heading more and more towards this sort of thing. So in the past, I would collect bank statements, W twos, maybe pay, pay stubs, maybe bank ret- uh, tax returns. Now I can have the lender order all those things. Mm-hmm. So we're moving more and more towards that. Okay, it's about. Uh, 341, we take a break every 20 minutes, so we're going to go ahead and take another break right now. You're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim on 1150 AM KKNW. This is the show that covers home ownership to the moon and back again. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4. You can call in during the show at 425-373-5527 or reach me, your host, Greg, off air at 206 206- Two five zero six five four five, or listen to this or prior shows by podcast at eleven fifty kknw.com under our audio. I say it every time, Eric. Audio, audio archives, or just even under just podcasts. Podcasts, yeah, yeah, you'll see them. Oh yeah, you'll see them. And there's some, you know, there's some of those shows I have back there talk about everything from how to get a home loan to fix a house up, how to um, how to put um, to take fire prevention how to shop for a home loan, how to buy a house, how to shop for a house, difference between an HOA and a regular house. We'll be back after these messages. Sweet strawberry icing. You're in goodwill and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot. Miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah. That's the scent of shopping success. Because at Goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Home Talk with Greg McKim, the show that covers home ownership from soup to nuts. Today we're talking with Brock Freeman about blockchain technology and how it is slowly but surely going to be changing how we deal with real estate and mortgage transactions. So we're going to talk a little about mortgage transactions. And then during the break, you also mentioned that we could talk about how blockchain will be utilized in commercial real estate investing. Yeah. Which one do you want to talk about first? Well, let's talk about how that's going to affect you mortgage as maybe person. a mortgage pr- person okay. going to get a loan or a mortgage. All right. One of the challenges right now, and, and there's some shopping sites out there for mortgages, you know, to go online and yeah. s- sort of shop yourself around. But let's go back to that self-sovereign identity. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have your identity splayed across all these different banks, you know. But if you're only able to, let's say, package that together using blockchain, so that the bank knows that I can rely that this information is correct, even though I don't know exactly who this person is. 
it allows you to, let's say, shop across a lot of different lenders at one time. That's a great point. Okay, One of the biggest frustrations my, my, people tell me when they're shopping for home loans is that everybody wants to know everything about them. They all want to pull their own credit reports. I've, I've envisioned for a long time there should be some way to pull a credit report and then have it shared amongst different institutions instead of have because each one wants to pull their own. Mm-hmm. That's Wait. because they don't feel they don't trust uh-huh. that you know Mr. Mortgage Broker or someone else uh-huh. uh, has not doctored that credit report up. Yeah, but that, again, going back to the blockchain, well, that's pretty hard if you've got it on the blockchain. And, and I'll tell you, uh, the mortgage shopping process for the average consumer is painful. It's it's slow. It's antiquated. They get they get a mix mash of information and they can't compare apples to apples. It's a it's not a very good process. And and most of those loan shopping services out there are designed to prevent to me to not provi- provided or designed to help consumers shop for loans. It's almost as bad as the mattress industry. They're they're designed to help the companies who pay for advertising get leads. Mm-hmm. So, dear listener, every time you're shopping for a loan, keep in mind what you have just become as a lead to someone. Those services aren't designed really to help you shop for loans. In fact, sometimes, and this is unfortunate, you'll get into it, and what they're advertising on the site turns out to be completely different than when you actually get to that lender. And that, I, 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 that's an interesting, we'll talk about some other time. It's interesting. Okay, so anything else about the well, mortgage? Well, I mean, if you think about it, those, again, are going to help lower transaction costs, which ultimately lower your and costs as a borrower. And consumers. That's right. That's right. That's, I love that part of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other thing that you're going to see is, as blockchain is starting to be used for what we call smart securities, or sometimes you'll hear tokenization. So the, the ability to then, let's say, oh, I want to have a house, but maybe I want to share ownership with someone else who wants to take the risk about whether that house is worth more in the future. Uh, I just need a place to live. Yeah. Okay. And I want to own it, but how can I own that place without necessarily owning the risk associated with that? Well, this is pretty common, actually, in the wider financial markets, the, the being able to split off risk with the ownership of the asset itself. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're starting to see companies think about how to use blockchain and blockchain-based smart securities do that with your home. So now there's services out there that are using blockchain on the back end to basically come and, quote, unquote, buy your home, even though you're still an owner in that home and you own it, you're on the title. Yeah. But they are as well. And as they get to participate in some of the appreciation. That's right. That's right. And and for that, you can actually get sort of a loan, even though it's not really a loan, because what they're doing is like, okay, we'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars. I've received some advertising for that. Yes. Yes. I've been wanting. And you don't have to make a payment. It's interesting. It's almost like a reverse mortgage, but not. Yes. Another idea I just had. One of the one of the frustrations in the mortgage industry is that when rates drop really fast, people want to refinance, and and this is really cyclical. So when rates go up, lenders lay people off. And then when rates drop, they don't have enough staff. So a lot of consumers miss rate drops. And sometimes they only last for a couple of weeks. If there was some way for a consumer to have their, their ID constantly monitored, where it, all you have to do is just, we know who this person is, mm-hmm. playing, lock them in and get them a, mm-hmm. a lower rate, that would be a huge boon for the, and it'd be good for the industry too, because they could keep, they, a, the, the lender that does this could keep their clients from shopping and going other places, keep them from being siphoned off on refi booms. It would be interesting to see if that happens. Yeah. That, that's something I've always dreamed of. I think you're going to see very unique, different applications, applications of blockchain. Because are you going to see this from the big banks? No. They don't want this kind of thing to happen. But well, what you will see is someone coming along saying, hey, this is a great business idea. I can 
right. join in ownership with something. I'm going to yeah. stand up a fund that's going to fund these things, and I will automatically go and grab more money off the market at a lower rate to refinance a whole bunch of people that I own homes with because it lowers the overall interest in that. Yeah. yeah, lowers the risk for well, them, I'll too. I'll talk to you about that off air. Okay, so the next thing is um, commercial real estate investing. So how many of you are invested in the stock market and feeling really confident right now? Uh, raise your hand, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that confident, honestly, about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in the best of days, honestly, it is a it is a is a gamble sometimes. What's happening? Yeah, there. I mean, yeah. I mean, you as an individual are up against billion dollar trading systems that take advantage of split second transactions, and you just you just can't compete. Oh, now, it's, it's extremely difficult. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have some of your money invested in some great companies or or even. A, uh, ETFs there in the stock market. However, we talk about wanting to diversify your portfolio. One of the best places to diversify your portfolio is into commercial real estate. Here's the issue with that. It's very difficult to get into those commercial real estate deals. It takes a lot of upfront capital typically. Well, yeah. I mean, if you and, were to and, go and, and say- And also a lot, of, a lot of expertise in understanding what you're doing. That's right. Now, there is players out there that are in that market and they have these deals, which are called syndicated deals usually, that are available. And I'm not talking about REITs, okay? So real estate investment so it's, it's trusts. Different. So it's different than a REIT. Here, let, me, let me address that for a moment. Right. So real estate investment trusts can be a, a somewhat uh, non-correlated. That means it doesn't necessarily rise and fall completely with the stock market. But because most of these REITs are still listed on the stock market. They're they, traded. They're traded and, okay. and they do they fall act like and a mutual rise. fund. Basically. Yeah, kind okay. of. All right, gotcha. All so, right. so that's one place. But there's a whole other place that most people are unaware of, which is what are called syndicated private deals. But the problem is that the SEC, the, uh, the Securities and Exchange uh, Commission, has said that, look, unless you are a, an accredited investor, that means you have a million dollars in capital, not including your, your home, a yep. million dollars in assets. Or you have $200,000 as a single or $300,000 as a couple of yearly income. You can't participate in those deals. That's been the classic deal. So some of the most lucrative and safe investments out there in commercial real estate are not available. That's right. That's right. Yeah. However. Rich just keep getting richer. However, there is a new what's called Reg A+. Uh, This was passed under the JOBS Act. Uh, several years ago, and although you think, well, that's several years ago, that's a long time ago, how come I might seeing these things, is that the SEC and the rulemaking bodies move extremely slow right. on this mm-hmm. stuff. But we're starting to see the availability of some of these that are done under Reg A+, that are available to, you know, your your Joe worker. Hmm. So it doesn't require Reg, you. Reg A+. Reg A+. Yep. All right. What we're also seeing at the same time is the rise of what we call blockchain smart securities. Okay, now let's go back for a second. Yeah. Reg A+. Plus. So blockchain has been is being being utilized by Reg A plus, or is that a sep- totally separate? Uh, it's thing? totally separate. It's okay, just right. one of those things. You're just, you're that just two things happen at the same time. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. But it, it gives an opportunity. Reg A plus because of that legislation, and mm-hmm. now that it's actually been reg, you know the regulators are done with it. Blockchain, there's an opportunity for blockchain to be utilized in these syndicated Reg yeah. A plus investments. And the reason I bring that the blockchain is important within here is again going back to. Uh, administrative costs. Okay. Okay. 
it actually costs a lot of money to track all your investors, to do the know your customer, KYC, AML, uh, and money laundering stuff. It, it costs money to do that. And it costs money every time someone wants to trade or calls you up and says, hey, I got a question about my investment, et cetera, okay. et cetera. So there, that's why in the past, all these investments have been limited to maybe 10 to 15 on a $10 million deal. 10 to 15 people yeah. or entities? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, because just, no one wants to deal with just too much, too complicated. Unless unless they're big dollar amounts, the administrative cost is just is just yep. overwhelming. But with blockchain, going back to the same reasons that blockchain can lower administrative you have, costs, you could have potentially unlimited number of investors. That's right. And keep the same cost down, which makes which is great mm -hmm. because there's more opportunity for more people. Right. And that's that's good for our economy. Yep. When the, when the opportunities are more readily available, it makes capitalism makes the free market work a lot better. That's right. Interesting. And, and by the way, the United States is really almost alone in this. Most other countries out there, you go to Europe, you go to Australia, there's no limitation on this kind of thing. They don't limit it to just accredited investors. Really? Do they find that the people who aren't accredited investors end up I mean, having the same sort of risk experience? Or, or I mean, do you have any data to support that? Or? I don't. Uh, even our neighborhood north of Canada doesn't have that restriction. Hmm. Now, the reasoning they give behind that is they don't want people taken by charlatans. Well, the reason here they they, they have that's that. right. Yeah, I get that because they call it blue sky. When I used to sell securities, yep, there was a term for that. Remember yep. that term, blue sky? Oh yeah. yeah well, yeah. that that term is still around. Yep. In fact, we talk about uh, state-based blue sky requirements. In fact, here in Washington State, the there's there's actually a higher bar than accreditation in order to do the same thing. You actually have to be a QC investor, a qualified in, a customer. Okay. I, I remember those things from way back when I did that. And again, the uh, listener, this is was it is designed to prevent people who don't have a lot of means from being sold something that isn't really appropriate for them because they, they might have their whole life savings wiped out as opposed to somebody who has a lot of assets. They lose a portion of it, but they don't end up being destitute. But then again, uh, I could meet you up at the casino and you can oh, lose I everything know, too. Oh, I know. I know. It, it's questionable. In, most regulations, or the stock market. most regulations are well-meaning, but then there's always the unintended consequence. Yeah. And blocking people out of opportunity is an unintended consequence. So That's right. If, uh, yeah. with, with blockchain here, I think that we, we'll see in the next few years both more of these type of deals available with Reg A+, which means that they can reach the average investor because of the lower administration cost. And I think in the future, as the SEC starts to see pressure from other countries, Around, SE, uh, around blockchain and, and what's available overseas, as well as seeing that, hey, with these kind of blockchain-based securities, we can actually lessen the chance of fraudulent behavior, uh, people taking advantage of others because of the self-sovereign identity, because of traceability, et cetera, right. that they may, in fact, start to walk back some of these restrictive requirements that they have. That makes sense. So one of the big takeaways for me, and I, you have to, sovereign, what do you call it again? Self-sovereign identity. Self-sovereign identity. That's a really interesting concept to me across many different areas, and particularly in the shopping process of a mortgage and then the underwriting process. Because and then those things have been collapsing. The 28 years I've been in the business have, been, have collapsed a lot, mm -hmm. but not enough, especially on the shopping side of it. Consumers are really frustrated by shopping for loans. Yeah. Well, how are we doing on time here? We got about uh, three minutes, two minutes left. Anything else you want to bring up as a general concept or any, any particular area you think is interesting? I do think that despite what you may hear out there for blockchain or you're discussing it with your friends around cryptocurrency and blockchain, oh, it's just a passing fad. That was particularly the case uh, just a month ago. We were deep in what they called the crypto winter. 
because uh, Bitcoin, which was nearing or which was over twenty thousand yeah. dollars per coin, all of a sudden, almost overnight, and within a couple of weeks, it dropped down to I think it got down to three thousand five hundred, uh, and then now but it's back up to nine thousand. I mean, these are separate things. Yeah, these are separate things. So unfortunately, because of the you know the people were the getting media. blockchain yeah. Yeah. with crypto conflated, they're like, oh, this thing is a fad. But behind the scenes, a lot of people are working very hard on blockchain-based stuff and moving those things forward. And really, there's a lot of reasons to do so, both for administrative, for safety, and I think that's going to bring a lot of benefits to consumers as well. Well, I hope so. There's always, you know, technology isn't always the magic cure. It's the fact sometimes we wrestle with technology, but um, if we keep putting our, you know, our heads together and looking at how we can use it more effectively... Some of the problems that technology has could be solved with technology. That's right. Like this one problem, everybody's ID being shared and not being secure, this self-sovereign identity is, is a pretty interesting concept. Well, we're getting pretty close to the end of the show, aren't we, Eric? About a minute or so. So um, what's this? So if you oh. want to know more information about Fibery, which is the Foundation for International Blockchain and Real Estate Extra Expertise, you can look us up at F-I-B-R-E-E dot O-R-G. That's F-I-B-R-E-E dot O-R-G. So for all you techies out there, I hope this was an interesting show. For the non-techies, hope you got something out of it too. I did. I think it's interesting, but of course I'm a little wonky. So thank you very much for listening. Well, thank uh, you for having me on the show, oh, I'm, Greg. I'm glad you were. I'm, I'm I've been looking forward to it for quite a while. So you have been listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim. I'm your host, Greg we air on Tuesdays here on 1150 AM KKNW from 3 to 4 p.m. You can reach me off air at 206-250-6545 or my email gmckim, that's G-M-C-K-I-M, at LoanZilla.com or go to 1150kknw.com and listen to any of my podcasts. Thank you very much, and I'll see you next week. Oh,